Matthew 13, verse 44 to 46. The title of the sermon is Jesus, Our Treasure. And I'm reading out of the ESV. All right, Matthew 13. Verse 44 says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding the one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. It's the word of God. Let's pray one more time. And Jesus, thank you for your word and for your truth. Thank you that this is how you lead your church. When we open your word and we submit to you, Jesus, we together just submit to your word and to what you have spoken. It's what your church has been doing for 2,000 years. It's what just your Christian church has been doing all day long, been opening your word. We, we hear from you, God. Thank you that these are not my words at all, Lord. We just want to, we want to submit to what you have spoken. So Holy Spirit, would you just come? Would you use this? Would you use your word to just stir up our hearts and our affections for Jesus? Um, Lord, I'm, I'm not enough. We are not enough. We need you, Holy Spirit, to help us to see the beauty of Jesus this morning. So would you do that? It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you love something, when you have a passion for something, and it could be as profound as like this movement, this like whatever it may be, or maybe as small as like your favorite restaurant, when you love something, when you're passionate about something, we're, we're far more willing than normal to make great sacrifice in time, in money, in resource, in effort to get it, right? You could be pretty like uh, bad work ethic person, but if there's something you love, all of a sudden, you're willing to wait in line for hours. You're willing to spend a lot of money. We're, we're willing to give a lot of attention to something when we love it. We see that, you see that even like when a couple falls in love young, like they'll just, they'll be willing to do crazy things to be together. And it's not a sacrifice. It's, it's just what you love. It's what we do. And the, the point, the number one point of these two parables is, is this, that when Jesus becomes your treasure, you will be willing to do crazy things to get more of Jesus. That's what these two parables are all about. And it's, it's pretty simple and it's, it's, uh, they'll be familiar, but, but we need help. We need God's help. We need the spirit of God's help today to remember the worth of Jesus, the beauty of Jesus, to treasure Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He says that the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus. We need that constantly every single day. And so this morning, we're, gonna, we're just gonna like look at Jesus together and pray that the Spirit helps us treasure him and that, that we would have a, a fruitful life of following him as we look to Jesus. And so uh, there's gonna be five just points to observe from these two parables. Uh, the first one is this, I've already said it. Jesus is the treasure and Jesus is the pearl of infinite value. The, the parable says the kingdom of heaven is like a man who finds a treasure. Uh, and Matthew talks about the kingdom of heaven. The other gospels talk about the kingdom of God. And if I could just sum that up, the essence of the kingdom is the king. 
The essence of the kingdom of God is the king. It's wherever the king is ruling and reigning, where people are submitted to the king. So it's faithful we can say the kingdom of heaven is wherever Jesus is ruling and reigning. And so Jesus is the treasure in these two parables, the treasure and the pearl. And, you know, we know that in our brains. I know that. We, we, may, know, we may be really familiar with the Bible. We may be familiar with systematic theology and all the attributes of God. Um, but our hearts need reminders, right? Like our minds know a lot of things, but our hearts and our souls need to remember the beauty and the worth of Jesus. And so uh, what we're gonna do for just probably two to three minutes is I'm just gonna just remind us of some attributes of Jesus. This is kind of honestly like a little preaching background. This is what you do at the end of the sermon. This is like when people are fired up, but I'm gonna risk it right now and say no, we're going to look at Jesus, and it's going to be good. And I just want to encourage us, um, maybe a little amens is nice, you know. Like, I know it's not our church all the time, but crowd participation, this will be like a little mini worship service. So when you hear something of, that's just beautiful about Jesus, please, for the name and glory of Jesus, like, say amen. Like, honestly, let's, let's do that. And so I'm going to just go over a couple things and remind us together of how Jesus is our treasure, okay? So here we go. The first of many is Jesus. He is holy. And, and remember the scene in heaven right now, that there are these beings that if we were to see them, we would just fall on our face. And all they are doing, these angels are declaring just holy, holy, holy. Jesus is perfect, He doesn't have a single spot or blemish. He has never had a moment, a fleeting moment of a sinful thought. He has never given into temptation in his mind for a moment. His holiness, and we see this in the Old Testament, is such that if a human being in this state were to see him, to behold him, we would die. He is that holy. He is upright and righteous. There is no injustice in him. No wrong will ever just be swept under the rug. No wrong will ever be done in the world that won't go unpunished. He's perfect. Jesus is perfect. Amen, amen. And do you know what else? This is amazing. While he is perfect and just, at the very same time, like like a jewel that has many facets, over here, he's merciful and gracious, and patient, and loving. And though he is absolutely perfect, and though we are not perfect, because he's merciful and loving, this is what he does. He steps in and says, I will bear the the weight and the brunt of their sin. And and because I'm just and perfect, I'm going to receive justice on myself so that I can extend mercy to sinful people like us. And so we receive a just, perfect, holy God, and yet we receive mercy and grace and love from that same God. And the fact, amen, amen. The fact that he would be patient and merciful to us should just overwhelm us. He is merciful and patient. Right now, he looks at you with love. And if you are in Christ, he sees you covered perfect in the blood of Jesus, and he declares that you are righteous. Praise God. Amen. You know what else? Jesus is sovereign. I love this. He is fully 
sovereign, in control over every detail of the entire universe right now. There's this, this, this thing in Proverbs that says, not a cast of the dice falls apart from him. Like literally right now in Las Vegas, no dice has fallen that he's not sovereign over. That's in the Bible, you guys. He is sovereign. Not a bird in the farthest forest has ever died without him knowing about it. Not a single moment of your suffering has gone unnoticed by him. He is sovereign and in control of every detail of every planet in the solar system. He is sovereign, amen. He's able to work everything evil for good. God is that sovereign that no matter what Satan does, Satan can kill his son and God says, watch what I do with this. And he saves the world. God is sovereign. Jesus, another aspect, he's true. He is true. We can know truth because of Jesus. There's no lie in him. He's never lied. His words and his promises are true. And if you're like me and and you like studying truth, there's this foundation you can rely on that is Jesus and his word. You can know truth. We don't have to wander around in the dark and try and figure out like spirituality and what is real and what is not real. And how do I know like we have truth. We have a sure guide because Jesus is truth. When Pilate just flippantly said, what is truth? We know before Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is truth. Another aspect, Jesus is worthy. He is absolutely worthy of our worship and our affection, and our devotion, and our obedience, and our love, and our time, and our sacrifice, and our possessions, and our trust. He was the only one worthy enough to shed his blood and and pay for all the sins of the world. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was the only one who was the perfect high priest who could go between us and God and say, no, I'm interceding for them. God, save them. He is more worthy than all the treasures in all the universes, all the gold nuggets hidden in all the universe. He is worthy. Jesus is worthy. Jesus is a rock and a refuge and a tower that cannot be shaken. He is a safe place. When all else is shaking in our world, in our country, and in your life, when all else is shaking in your life, he is unshaken. And you can run to him. Amen. He is peace in the storms of life. When there's storms happening, he, remember, he just slept. He is not stressed. And then with a word, he stops storms. Not even death, not even Satan, not even sin could shake our God. Jesus is a rock and a refuge. Jesus doesn't grow tired. He's not weary. Man, we know too well that humans, that we, I don't care who you are as a human, how amazing you are, we grow tired and we we grow weary and we fall and we fail and we falter. And hey, the Bible says I'm a young man, but I'm gonna grow tired and weary. And I'll test to that. Yes, I do grow tired and weary and fall exhausted, but Jesus is holding the universe by the word of his power and he's sitting down and he's not stressed out and he's not overwhelmed. Jesus does not grow faint or weary or tired. Your problems cannot overwhelm him. The problems of the universe cannot overwhelm him. He is not weary. 
I may not make it through this sermon and you may not make it home, but Jesus is seated on his throne and all will be well and he is not going to grow weary. Yeah. Jesus is available and he is present at all times. He's never left you. He has never left you. Unlike every other person that though they love us, they will fail us. Jesus will never fail you and never leave you. And you in his love are eternally secure. Neither death nor life nor heaven nor hell nor all the angels or all the demons can come between you and the Lord. You are secure and in his presence. And though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because Jesus is with you. He is with you. Jesus satisfies our souls and he alone satisfies our soul. He is the bread of life. He is the source of every pleasure you have ever tasted. Every pleasure you've tasted is like a drop that fell out of the waterfall that is Jesus. Where did, where did it come from? Where did our nerves come from? Where did our pleasure and our fun come from? Jesus, he created you. He created the world. He created fun. He created chemicals in your brain. He is the source. And if you know him, you will be with him, the source of all pleasure for eternity. And your capacity for enjoying Jesus will just grow. Jesus satisfies us and provides us with joy unlike the world. I'm going to close us with Colossians 1. And we're going to just look at this, these few verses of who Jesus is. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. You guys, Jesus is the treasure. He is unlike any other treasure you have ever found. He is the treasure. The second point is this. Because he's a treasure, he is to be treasured. He's to be treasured. Okay, now what, what am I really saying here? Here's the point. Treasure typically doesn't live in our minds. Treasure lives in our hearts. Treasure is something that we desire. Treasure is something we love and we long for. It resides in our affections and our hopes. And here's the point. It's not enough to just agree with your mind in everything that was just said about Jesus. That is far, far inadequate. You have to treasure those truths in your heart. You have to love those truths in your soul. Treasure is not just, yep, I agree with that. Treasure is, I love that. That is what matters to me most. True saving faith in Jesus, it savors Jesus as treasure. Here's a little example. Um, my parents-in-law, is that what you call them, are here today. And I remember I was with them. We were at like a farmer's market. 
And I remember the first time I tasted real honeycomb, like on the comb, okay? So I, my mom doesn't like honey. I never honestly like ate honey growing up. We were just walking and it was just sitting on this booth. And the guy was like, I was just looking at it and he's like, would you like a sample? And so I remember, I remember the day and I took a bite of this honeycomb and it's, if you've ever done it, it's like this waxy like waffle and then almost just overwhelming sweetness, almost too much. And here's the difference. This is what saving faith is like. It's one thing to say, yeah, honey, sweet. Yeah, I agree with that. But it's an entirely different thing to taste honey for yourself. That's a different experience. And it is not enough to say, I believe that Jesus is all of these things that you said. It is far different to taste and savor and treasure those truths for yourself. Jesus says, I am the treasure. I'm to be treasured. You're you're to love God with your heart and your soul and not just your mind. You are to treasure Jesus with your soul. You are to treasure Jesus with your soul. The third point of this parable is this. The man sells all that he has to get that treasure, okay? Um, Once Jesus has been tasted like over here, like, no, Jesus is so good. Like radical things naturally flow from this. Like radical things that doesn't make sense to the world. It'll lead to like, I'll sacrifice to get more of that. I'll spend more time to get more of that. I'll say no to other attractive things because I want this, because I want Jesus. I'll be willing to sell all that I have to get more of Jesus. So, so here's this is a little bit where it gets kind of like harder. I'm gonna ask some hard questions of us. Do I sacrifice to get more of Jesus? Do I, do I actually lose sleep? to get more of Jesus? Am I willing to say no to other things because I want Jesus? A couple verses Jesus says, am I willing to, to lose my life for Jesus? He says a few chapters later, Matthew 16, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? And the reason why, when we look at people throughout history who just live radical lives and sacrificed and went to the unreached and literally died, it's because they were treasuring Jesus and he was better to them than whatever else was over here, than the American dream, than their reputation, than a few short years of gaining the world. Because I want eternity with Jesus. Another one, Jesus asks us is, am I willing to give up my sin for Jesus? Look at this example of Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. When we, when we find Jesus, all of a sudden, I'm, we're willing to be mistreated with the people of God. Because I know that sin, it's fleeting. Maybe there's pleasure there, but it's this fleeting pleasure and, I, and I'm willing to, to give that up. Another one, am I willing to give up my stuff for Jesus? This is hard. He says in Luke, therefore any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Normally it's the preacher's job to be like, well, this is what that means. Um, but Jesus said that, 
renounce all that he has. Whoever does not do that cannot be my disciple. And, and what that means is this, there is not a single treasure that comes before Jesus. There's not a single one. I've renounced all other treasures. I want Jesus. I want Jesus. It doesn't mean we can't enjoy other gifts that God has given us, but they're not our treasure. And whenever Jesus says, hey, I want you to give that up for a season or right now or the rest of your life, we're like, yeah, I have Jesus. I'm okay. I'm not holding on to something that I'm not willing to give Jesus. It's all, all that I have is renounced. I'm like stewarding it right now, but it's renounced. It's not my treasure. Here's another one. Am I willing to put Jesus before any other relationship in my life? Matthew 10, a few chapters back, he says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's the same thing, same thing. Jesus, you come first, you come first. I'm not gonna put any human where you belong. Our hearts have like a throne in them, like a little throne room. And there's only room for one person or one thing on that throne. Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't love me and something else the same at the same time. You, you got to pick one. And he says, I am to be your treasure in your heart. I'm to be what you love most. Okay, now we hear those verses. They're really hard and difficult. Honestly, all of us have things probably that the Holy Spirit brought up like, mm, I don't really want to give that thing up. Does that mean I have to give this up? Uh, it's pretty, it's honestly radical and crazy. It feels hard. It feels almost impossible. And there's something even crazier to this parable. And it's our point number four. You know, what's crazy is the man sold all he had in his joy. What? He sold everything in his joy. Now, how can this man not only give everything up, but do it in joy? Because he found a better treasure. And he was not missing out. Would it be crazy if I said, hey, would you sell everything you have? And then when you give it to me by some crazy way, I can write you a check for a hundred billion dollars. Would that be crazy? No, you would be crazy to not do that. It would, it's actually rational. It is actually rational to put your eternity before a few short fleeting years. It is actually rational to put your hope in Jesus who is eternal and all satisfying and never fails you than to put your hope in a few possessions or a savings account or a few people who won't even last. It's actually rational. But I think where the disconnect happens, and let's just be honest humans because I'm with you, oftentimes Jesus just isn't our treasure. And, and some of these things are our treasures. And that's why it's like, I don't know if I could give that up. I don't know if Jesus is that good. Like, why do we sin? Because we like it. Because we like our sin. None of us just goes in like, I don't want to do this. Like, we like it. At some level, we choose it. It's our treasure at some level. And let's be honest, we're broken. And, and the Bible even says when we try to look at God, it's like through this glass that's dim and we can't really see clearly. And sometimes we look around and other treasures just seem clear and apparent and like ready and I can touch them and I can experience them. And these things around us sometimes seem more real and more promising. And when we wake up in the morning, it's like, I just... I don't know if I'm experiencing the fact that Jesus is better than whatever it may be. 
But here's, here's the thing. Jesus calls us to joy, to true joy. The man sells all he has in joy. And so here's not the answer. The answer is not joyless sacrifice for Jesus. That's not the answer. If you have some other treasures in your life, the answer is not just give them up and hate it. That's not the answer. Joyless obedience does not honor Jesus. There's a word for that. It's religious hypocrisy. Joyless obedience does not solve our problem. If all you ever do is obey Jesus perfectly, but you don't love him and treasure him, in 1 Corinthians 13, we're told, you gain nothing. If I have, give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so the answer is not, man, just suck it up and get to work and give away your stuff. That's not the answer. That's joyless religion. And it's not going to make you love Jesus. It's, it's probably going to make you hate Jesus. It honestly will make you hate him because you're not, you're not enjoying him. You're just trying to make yourself better. And so the, the source from our giving is joy, joy in Jesus. And so if you're having a hard time obeying Jesus, here's the answer. Go treasure Jesus. Go look at Jesus. Go look to him and value him and believe his promises. And when you behold the glory of Jesus, all these lesser things lose their grip. That's the answer. When we're not sacrificing and loving and obeying and we can't get breakthrough in our sin or our life, the answer is not just, God doesn't say like, hey, stop it, stop it. He goes after our hearts. He says, I want you to love me, look at me, behold me, treasure me. I'm better than those things. And when we do that, this joy comes up like, I love my Jesus. And with joy, I can uh, begin to say no to these other things in my life. It's joy is the source of our obedience. Because the bottom line is this, Jesus is actually better. He's actually better than other things. Like, can, any, can I get a witness about that? Is Jesus actually better? He's better than those things. Jesus is better than our sin. He's better than our money. He's better than our stuff. He is better. And when we spend time with him, those things slowly fall away. But I want to be sensitive and honest because I'm in this crowd. The point number five is this. Jesus is a hidden treasure. He's a hidden treasure. And there are just days when Jesus does not seem to be better. There just are days when he doesn't seem to be or my emotions aren't lining up, or my thoughts are confused and clouded, and Jesus feels hidden. And that's okay. He, he actually is a hidden treasure. We are looking through a glass, a mirror, dimly. There are times and seasons and days when Jesus feels far away. When, I mean, have we not been in the desert? Have we not been hurt by him? Have we not seen other people like worshiping and like, I just, I don't have that right now. I don't feel that. Jesus, help me. And so that like diamond just kind of accumulates like grime and dust and it just loses its sheen. And there's a couple things Jesus says, hey, listen, here's what it is to treasure me and to behold my glory. This is a couple practical things that we have to do to enjoy 
Jesus. And the first one is this. It's so simple. And we know this. It's just be with him. Spend time with him. Sit at his feet. Read his word. And, and when you wake up, if you're like me, I'm honestly, I'm not a morning person. And honestly, all the beauty of Jesus that I tasted yesterday is just clouded and gone. And I'm sitting there and I know in my mind he's good, but my body and emotions are like, I do not want to be with Jesus. I'll be honest, that's, that's most days. But here's what we do. We open this book and we start reading it and we start spending time with him. And there's this other member of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit who is in us, who we cry out to and say, help me, help me see Jesus. Yeah. Look at these verses, Psalm 119, 18. If, this, if that's you in the mornings, this is a promise. This is a prayer. God, open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Like David loved God a lot and he had to pray that. God, help me. Open my eyes like I don't see I don't see what's here. Help me. Another one, Psalm 86. Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. My heart is so divided every morning. It just is. My phone, everything else is just like calling to me. I have a divided heart. And we can, we can cry out to the Lord, God, give me an undivided heart. Teach me, help me. And I'll be honest, you guys, most days as I sit and I just spend time with Jesus, the spirit begins to wake my soul up. He actually does. The, the diamond of Jesus, it starts to be like polished and I start to see beauty. And there's something that I can't explain that actually happens to my soul. Remember when David said, um, lead me by, beside still waters, restore my soul. That means our souls need restoring right now. We are in such a state, we have this broken flesh like clay with cracks that leaks. We just leak. We may be so full of the Lord and the next day we're empty. So we need restoring. That's an okay prayer. That's, that's what we're living in right now. God, restore my soul. Fill me up. Spending time with Jesus is an absolute must. A second one is this. This is a hard one. Obey him even in seasons of darkness. Obey him even in seasons of dryness. Trust in his word and not your emotions. It's just a season. It's just a desert. It may be 40 years, but this book is still true and his promises are still true. Jesus went through desert seasons. The whole, almost every character in the Bible went through desert seasons. And in those times, we have to rely on something more than our emotion. We just have to. We can't rely on our emotion. We are weak. And if our walk with Jesus is based on our emotions, like it's doing this, right? We have to rely on something deeper, on who he is and his promises. David prayed this in Psalm 51. In these seasons, do not banish me from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. There are seasons when like, that's just what you're gonna have to hold on to. I don't have joy. Jesus, give me joy. Help me obey you. I don't wanna obey you. Make me willing to obey you. Those are prayers that, that the saints have been praying. And that's, that's part of it. A couple more. A third one is this. We need to, and this is freeing, we need to repent of sin and other treasures. They're just good things in life. They're not bad. They're good. But they can just kind of like crowd our heart out. We learned about that. They can just crowd our heart out. Good gifts God has given us. There are times when that just consumes our minds. They clog up our soul. Hebrews says it's like weight 
that just slows us down. There are times where that's when you start like, Jesus, what's distracting me? What's slowing me down? Is it stuff? Is it relationships? What like, is it, what is it, Jesus? And let me give that up. Let me repent of my sin. Sin slows me down. It entangles us. That's why we have this time of uh, response on Sunday mornings where you can get on the carpet, where you can have communion, where you can get prayer, where you can confess. That's where healing comes. Like healing, real healing and like freeing comes in our hearts. It frees our hearts up to turn back to Jesus when we repent of our sin. Two more. Number four, what stirs our affection for Jesus is in times of dryness, in times when God feels far, times when you feel like God's abandoned you, remember the cross. Remember the cross. Remember that Jesus was abandoned so that you would never be abandoned. Remember that the main thing isn't you going and getting right with God. Remember that the main thing is God came to rescue people who were failures and couldn't pull it off. Remember the main thing of your relationship with God is not what you do, but what God already did for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. By nature, we are fallen. The first beatitude is, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who know, man, I cannot pull this off, but I can look to the cross where God pulled it off where God left heaven, where Jesus left all he had. He sold everything and he came and he laid his life down for sinners like you and me, whose hearts didn't even want him. When you feel far and in the desert, just turn and look to Jesus and his love for you. He's pursuing you, Jesus, right now, in your desert, in your dryness, when you feel abandoned, in your sin, Jesus is pursuing you. He pursued you on the cross and he's pursuing you now. And then the last one is this, what stirs our affection for Jesus is worship. Honestly, for first service, you guys, I knew these things were true and I was preaching, but I I was struggling, you guys. And then I sat down after I taught and I was just discouraged and I just wanted to pray about myself. And the Holy Spirit's like, hey, just get your eyes off of yourself and look to me. Like there, there's a time when we can bring our burdens to him, but then there's a time where we just need to lift our eyes off of what is going on and lift our eyes to him and behold him in his glory. And remember Peter when he was jumping out of the boat and he's walking on water, but what, what happened? He got distracted by the waves in the wind, right? He took his eyes off of Jesus. Now those waves and that wind was real, like, that's a real problem when you're walking on water and there's waves and wind. Like, that's, that's a real thing. And we have real problems. We have real suffering. But there is a time when we need to lift our eyes off of that and look at Jesus and fix our eyes on Jesus and behold Jesus and let Jesus be our treasure. And there's just something that happens in our soul when we just lift our eyes off of ourselves and we behold Jesus and he becomes our treasure again. So we're gonna worship him. We're gonna worship him right now and you, you may need to just sit in his presence. You may need to repent. You need to just obey him. But all of us need to look at him and behold him and worship him. And I'm gonna close with this, uh, these two verses in 2 Corinthians 3. And it's kind of talking about this state where we just, it's hard to see him, but look at these promises. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. 
You may have a veil right now. We have a veil over our soul, over our heart. I can't see God. But when you turn to the Lord, the veil is removed. Behold him. And look what it says. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. So right now, we're gonna turn to the Lord. We're gonna behold him. We're gonna behold him and lift our eyes to him and treasure him together for he is worthy. He is our treasure. He is far better than anything else. So let's enjoy Jesus together right now. Amen? Amen. Jesus, you are worthy. You are our treasure. You are our God and our King. You are our shepherd. You are better than anything, Lord. We believe those promises. Jesus, help us in our unbelief. Help us in our wandering. Help us, Lord, if some of us are entangled in sin, would we repent and turn back to behold Jesus? If some of us are in the desert and we're dry, and our emotions and our minds are just hard to believe these promises, would you help us turn to you and trust you? And would you just graciously pour out your spirit? Would you graciously not take your spirit from us? Give us a willing heart. Bless us with your presence this morning, God. Thank you for the cross that you pursue us even in our wandering and in our sin. Thank you that you love us and clothe us with your righteousness and your blood. Thank you for your bride that you love. It's so precious to you right now. And we together just want to be with you, Lord. We just want to sit at your feet. We want to enjoy your presence. We want to be like Mary, just sitting at the feet of Jesus. So lead us now, Holy Spirit. Wherever we're at, man, if we're excited, if we're mad, if we're frustrated, if we're just dry, would we look to you, Jesus? We trust you, Jesus. Take the veil away. We're turning to you now. Help us, Holy Spirit.